0: Illustrating the importance of your aim in life, here's Pastor Ed Taylor.
1: We get the picture of aiming, right? You might think of maybe playing darts, and you're aiming for the bullseye. Or you might get the picture in your mind of taking a bow and arrow out, and as you pull the bow back, you're shooting the arrow where? Where you're aiming. Do you know there's an aim for your life, too? That God has an aim for your life. And if you haven't chosen to aim yourself in the direction that God has for you, then you're going to continue to wander around. Continue to feel as if you don't have any purpose in any direction because you haven't chosen to aim yourself.
0: This is amazing grace. This is failure. i C.S. Lewis famously said, if you aim at earth, you'll miss heaven. But if you aim at heaven, you'll get heaven and earth too. So we must be careful to aim in the right direction and make sure we have the right purpose in life. Well, today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor will help us with that. Before we continue in Romans, we'll take a little excursion into Acts chapter nine for some needed background on the apostle Paul. Here now with today's lesson is Pastor Ed.
1: Well, Paul knew what his calling was in life. There was no question about it. He was called to be a preacher, and what did he do? He preached. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. He preached it in synagogues. He preached it in marketplaces. He preached it to friends. He preached it to foe. Paul knew what he was called to do. I asked you to open to Acts chapter 9 because it wasn't always that way. You see, Paul, before he was saved, he was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a Christian hater, He hated the church. He hated Christians. And his life was consumed with hatred to the point where his desire was to wipe out Christianity single-handedly. And he was on his way to Damascus. And we pick up in verse 4 as God met him right where he was at. Because that's what he does. God meets us right where we're at. I mean, some of you right now, like you know that your life is not right with God. You know that you haven't been walking with him. You know you don't have a relationship with him. And let me tell you something. God's going to meet you right where you're at right now. Be open to the work of the Spirit. So here's Saul of Tarsus. God meets him right where he's at. And Saul falls to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Just a side note, which is real interesting, is that Saul was persecuting the church. He was coming against believers. But Jesus took that very personally because we belong to him. We abide in him. You know, the things you're going through right now, Jesus takes it very personally. The things that you're facing right now, he takes it very... you got some persecution going on in your life. Jesus takes it personally, and he's there for you. So I thought that's interesting. Verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we'll just stop there. Two great questions to ask. Lord, who are you, and what do you want me to do? Very important questions to ask if you haven't already asked them. I mean, they're really questions that get asked along the way as we grow in grace. God, who are you? I want a fresh revelation of you. I want a, a fresh, I want to go back to my first love. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? If you ask those questions, God will answer them. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? You know, it's a sad thing to watch so many Christians wandering around as Christians. No real purpose, no real direction. They don't really know what they're supposed to do. And, and they go from one wandering to another. You know, it was before they were saved, before we were saved, the Bible says we were wandering aimlessly. We didn't know where we were going. And, and for many of us, we know exactly what that means. I mean, we were just wandering around, doing our own thing, not really caring about God, you know, doing all kinds of things that were hurting us, living in sin, And what I've noticed, though, is that I've seen people wander, go from wandering around in the world, then they become Christians, but they keep wandering around. They're not willing to ask God the question, not only who are you, Lord, but what do you want me to do? You need to know what God has called you to do. I mean, you remember our studies in Romans chapter 12, present yourself a living sacrifice. And then through the rest of that chapter, what do we do but pause at every spiritual gift, So that you would know your spiritual giftings. Every believer has been given at least one of those seven spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12. What's yours and how are you using it? God, what do you want me to do? Knowing the will of God is so important for our lives. And we see too many Christians just wandering around. They were wandering around in the world and now they're wandering around as Christians with no real purpose, no real direction. Sometimes it's because we don't ask the questions. But sometimes it's because we ask the questions... And we don't like the answers. Who are you, Lord? And he just gives you this beautiful revelation of himself and his word. And then you say, what do you want me to do? And when he says, this is what I want you to do, your answer is, what? You want me to do what? It happened to Saul. Notice this, same chapter, chapter 9, jump down to verse 15. As the story unfolds, God's going to hook up Saul with a man by the name of Ananias. And that's who he's talking to in verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go, for he, speaking of Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Great calling, right? If that was to stop right there, we'd be totally encouraged. Oh man, Lord, you're going to use me to reach people? You're going to use me to share the gospel? I'm going to reach the Gentiles? I'm going to reach the Jews? Yes, I'm ready to go. Verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must... What does your Bible say? Yeah. For my name's sake. And then we hear that and go, what? You're going to call me to suffer? Can I ask a question again, Lord? What do you want me to do? Well, you're going to suffer for me. What? Let me just ask you one more time, Lord. What do you you want me to do? You're going to suffer for me. Okay. It's not just for Ed, though, you know. As a believer, you are not immune to the sufferings of life. And as a believer that serves the Lord, you're going to suffer just like Paul did. Paul went through all sorts of things. You can read it for yourself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He went through things for the gospel. You know, maybe you've heard the voice of the Lord, but you will not obey him. You don't want to do that. You want to obey him. You want to be in a place of submission and obedience to the will of God. You don't want to get too far ahead of him. You don't want to get too far behind him. You want to be right there close to him. So with that in mind, pick up with me in Romans chapter 15. We'll just pick up where we were last time for way of context. Romans chapter 15, verse 17. He says, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Lichrim, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, verse 21 to whom he was not announced they shall see and those who have not heard shall understand so i love this with paul as we pick up in verse 20 paul made it his aim to preach the gospel because he knew what god called him to do and what he did was a wise thing he heard from the lord and then he pointed his life in that direction And we get the picture of aiming, right? You might think of maybe playing darts and you're aiming for the bullseye. Or you might get the picture in your mind of taking a bow and arrow out. And as you pull the bow back, you're shooting the arrow where? Where you're aiming. Do you know there's an aim for your life too? That God has an aim for your life. And if you haven't chosen to aim yourself in the direction that God has for you, then you're going to continue to wander around. You're going to continue to feel as if you don't have any purpose in any direction because you haven't chosen to aim yourself. Now, Paul aimed his life directly toward the calling of his life. He says, hey, if I'm a preacher, then now my aim in life is to be a preacher. I'm going to be the best preacher teacher that I can possibly be. That's my aim in life. Because when you don't aim at anything, you'll hit it every time. Have you noticed? If there's really no focus, there's no accountability. When there's really no focus, then if you never do anything, then it's no big deal because you weren't trying to do anything anyway. But when you have an aim, there's immediate accountability. There's immediate direction. There's immediate structure. And when your aim is the very aim of God for your life, you're going to hit it every time. God is going to take you exactly where he wants you. When you obey him, you submit yourself to him. Now, okay, so maybe your aim in life isn't to preach the gospel around the world. Because when you look back at verse 19, when he talks about all around about Elikram and Jerusalem. That's about 1,400 miles that he went. He didn't have the modern-day travel. I mean, this was some serious stuff that he did. But you say, hey, Ed, I can't really relate to Paul because, like, my calling's not a worldwide preacher. Well, okay, because there's only one Paul. You read through the Scriptures, there's not two Pauls, there's not four Pauls, there's only one. When you think of some great evangelists, you know, you think of Billy Graham, there's only one Billy Graham, there's not three, there's not a hundred of them, there's only one. There's only one Pastor Chuck Smith, there's not six, there's not 18, there's just one. And you know what? There's only one you. Maybe your calling is to be a mom right now. That's your calling. Oh, what a wonderful calling. Then B, make your aim to be the best spiritual mom that you can be. Maybe your aim is to be a Christian businessman. Great you own a business, then make your aim to be the best Christian businessman, businesswoman that you can possibly be. Maybe your aim in life is to serve in the church, and you're going to be a great support to the ministry of your local church. So be the best children's ministry teacher. Be the best home fellowship leader. Be the best that you can be. Make it your aim to obey God's calling in your life. No more excuses. It's so vital, church that you understand how God desires us to finish what we started and not be so quick to quit and to give up and to throw in the towel, but to finish what he started in our lives. You don't have to have a worldwide calling because God has given you a worldwide calling in the world in which you live, your sphere of influence, if you will, the people you connect with. Make it your aim to be the best Christian fulfilling the tasks that he's given you. You can jot this down in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says that Paul was confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's working in you. Make it your aim to cooperate in obedience and make it your aim to be what God's called you to be. And just go for it. No quitting. I know you feel like it from time to time, but don't. Steady on. Keep moving. You're going to get through it. God's going to show you. He's going to complete the work that he has started in you. And I love the psalmist. The psalmist speaks of he will perfect that which concerns us. And he will. I want you to key in now on verse 20 for a moment before we move on to the rest of the chapter. In verse 20, Paul says something so powerful, so wonderful that we really need to take it in. He says at the end there, he wanted to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest I should build on another man's foundation. You see that? That's so vital. Paul's ministry was that of a trailblazer. I mean, he wanted to go areas to lay new foundations. He did not want to go in a place where he would build on another man's foundation. You need to let that sink in. Let that be your heart. Not to build on another man's foundation because this is a great glimpse into the heart of a church planter, into the heart of a missionary. Hey, for Paul, there was already a church in Rome. He wasn't interested in going in and trying to do something new there in Rome. There was already a vibrant church there, already taking care of the city. He was going to go and encourage them, talk to them. He wrote a letter to them, but he was going to move on. He already had. He wasn't even involved in the church plan in Rome. But he received them, fellowship with them, and he was going to visit, but move on. And and in marking verse 20, I just want you to know the kind of power it has in a life. This verse, verse 20, is one of the main reasons why I'm in Colorado today. Why God brought us here from our home and our families and our church family in Southern California. You see, when we were praying about planting a church and we were praying about what God was going to do in our lives, we were praying with a couple other families. At the same time, we had a very vibrant home fellowship. Pastor Jeff always encouraged us to open our homes, and, I, and we did. Marie and I opened our apartment. We started a home fellowship there, and it just grew like crazy. We had to move out of our apartment. You know, the kids are banging the walls and running around, and there's so many kids and so many people that we had to find a larger house and a larger house. Before you know it, our prayers started to change, and my prayer was, Lord, do you want me, is this your will for my, do you want me to start a Sunday morning service with this group of people? Is that what you call me to do? I'm not sure. I don't understand what's going on. And each time I would pray that, God would bring me right back to verse 20. And the answer would be, no, Ed, I don't want you to build on another man's foundation. Because really, most of the people in our home fellowship already had a great, vibrant home church. And there's a church that we went to, a lot of our friends, a lot of our, their acquaintances. And what happened was, is that God said, no, no, no. I'm going to use you but it's not going to be in Southern California because, you know, Calvary chapels are well represented in Southern California where we grew up and God's doing a great work there. He put it in my heart that we needed to go somewhere where Christ was not named, where there wasn't a ministry like Calvary Chapel is how it was translated to us. There's a lot of great things going on in Aurora, even still to this day, a lot of great churches. But God really wanted us to come to a place where there wasn't currently a Calvary Chapel. And he led us here to Aurora. Because that's what we've been taught. We've been taught, those of you, and then I know this directly relates to a few of you that have a calling to plant a church, that maybe have a missionary heart. We have always been taught that that calling of church planting or missionary, go to a place where there isn't a Calvary Chapel, open your home, start to love the people there, teach them the Bible, and watch God work don't go to a place where the Calvary chapels are all over the place and you go in, and I've seen this. It's sad, but I've seen this where guys will come in and they'll start to pick off people from other churches and do this and over and not build on a fresh foundation, but instead cause confusion and cause division and nothing really ever happens of it. And so if you have that heart of church planning, you want to go find a place where there's a genuine need and go for it. You have a missionary heart. Find a place that really needs a person with your heart and your love. Go there and just dive in to the ministry. And God, he led us here. And how grateful I am that he led us here. That it was a city that was filled with people like you, with you. That really, God was doing a work among us. And I'm so glad I didn't stay in Southern California. I'm so glad that my pastor, Jeff Johnson, taught me the value of what a church planner's heart really is, and now I get the privilege of sharing it with you. Now, some of you, most of you are like, that doesn't apply to me yet. I'm not a pastor, not a church planner, not a missionary. How in the world does that apply to me? Well, listen, God wants to use you. He really does. But not through confusion and division. I mean, you don't have a calling of the church planner. Great, you're a Christian businessman, a Christian business. Well then let that business be a light unto Jesus Christ. And let God do a new work in you. Because that's really what's happening. It's a new work. It's not an old work. It's a new work. It's not the same old foundation. It's a fresh new thing. So you got a new job. New work. Got a new place. New work. Moving into a new neighborhood. New work. New apartment. New condo. New house. New work. New work. New work. Let God do something fresh in you. Something new in you. But those of you that are praying about right now, planning a church, maybe even church planners listening in on the radio right now, don't build on another man's foundation. Don't do it. It causes too much confusion, too much division. And there's a lot of places on the planet today. There's a lot of places all over the world that could use a ministry like God has laid on your heart. So look for that place of need. That's all you really need from the Lord is a place of need. Like when we send guys out from here and we have, we have three guys out right now. We've got the Blessed Brother down in Elizabeth. God's blessing the ministry down there. Great need. God's using it greatly. I think I've shared with you, but man, he is, it's so cool that God's hands on that ministry that they're not even a day old and God has already given them a building free and clear. Like, man, I tell him, man, we had to all work for ours. What's up with you? Well, we rejoice, don't we? We take that from the Lord. <laughs> you want to give us a building? We'll take it. And so I've been asking the Lord, you want to give us 60 acres? We'll take it, man. Just, just give it to us. And then we got the brother out in our Vermont, you know, our, the former leader of our junior high. I just got an email from him, got a note from him, actually a Facebook note from him that said, hey, I'm out in Vermont. We got a, we've seen one salvation, one rededication, and the Lord's led us to minister to three families. Let me tell you, that's a great beginning. And then there's old blessed Ben. Remember him? Suffering for the Lord in Hawaii. Yeah, we send him out too. And God is using him to do a fresh work. And they're outgrowing the facility that they're in already. And God is moving. And so if we send you out, the encouragement for us is, hey, don't build on another man's foundation. Don't do it. You go, but Ed, but I can. I know you can. I know you can. That's why we're saying take verse 20 to heart. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Just go out and let God do something crazy in you to a new place with a new heart and a new work. And I love the fellowship that we have among Calvary's here in Colorado. It's one big family. Now, we have fellowship with many churches, many pastors in this community. But there's something sweet about the fellowship family of Calvary Chapel. There's something sweet there that we, as we are like-minded in the ministry, there's just so many cool things that are happening among the Calvaries. Now, there's a lot of things. I meet with pastors from churches in town all the time. I love it. We have lunch together, we talk about what God's doing. There's a church right up the street. I just had lunch with a pastor who just moved from California. God is doing a great work in his heart. I know God's gonna bless that church. I had I had an opportunity to teach at a leadership retreat for another church in Lowry. God's doing great things in them. We are in fellowship and God's doing wonderful things. but there's something about the family of churches known as Calvary Chapel. There's just something sweet when there's unity among the brothers. There's unity in the It's just really cool. And, you know, we don't want to build on another man's family. We want to see something new. We want to see something fresh. We want to see God do a new work. And so just so you know, verse 20 played a large part in my life, of me and my wife being here and my family, that the, he just made it clear. He made it clear, go somewhere where... There is no Calvary, and that's how we showed up here. Back to Romans 15, verse 22. Paul says, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now, no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So he wants to go there. He said that in chapter one. He wants to visit them, he wants to be encouraged with them, he wants to find a place of refuge and refreshing there, and, and he wants to, to help them, he wants to encourage them. Notice verse 25. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. And it pleased them indeed. And they are their debtors. So he's going to bring a gift. Remember in the early church, it exploded in Jerusalem. Thousands of people get saved at one time. And they were so excited about being Christians that they decided, hey, why don't we sell everything we have? We'll lay it at the apostles' feet. And the apostles can distribute it as they have need. And we'll just kind of live in this communal society, excited with one another. And and for a while, it seemed to bear fruit. It seemed to bear fruit. Except that, remember, there was that division among the widows that started. And eventually, what we learn is, is that that decision ended up financially ruining the church in Jerusalem. Because one thing you'll never find, you won't find the Bible ever telling them to do that anywhere. You never read of them praying about it. You never read of God telling them to do it. You never read about it. It was a good idea, but it wasn't led by the Lord, which you need to be reminded. Hey, a man plans his ways, but what? The Lord directs his steps. And so you can even have really good plans, but if God's not directing you to do it, don't do it.
0: Pastor Ed Taylor, on the necessity of being led by the Lord. There's more to glean from this very practical message of Scripture, and we'll do just that next time on Abounding Grace. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Pastor Ed, we have a timely resource to tell our listeners about. I'll let you have the honors of describing it today. Larry, with all the racial tensions
1: and divisions that have been with us for a long, long time, and now just the recent ones where injustice and unfairness and prejudice has taken center stage in our culture, we as believers want to be able to walk into that. We don't want to avoid these things. We want to walk into them for the sake of building a bridge. And our pick this month is the third option by Pastor Miles McPherson. And he does just that. He gives another option. He gives an option. Like remember, he uses Joshua in and when Joshua was out walking around considering Jericho, uh, this angel of the Lord, we know as a preincarnate appearance of Jesus, appears to him, and he and Joshua says, "Whose side are you on?" And times like this, with division and difficulty, there's that pressure to pick a side, and the answer from the angel of the Lord is very instructive. No. I'm here to represent God. And as we step into these difficult situations, we want to represent God. And as he writes, even as the church has been affected by racial division, with Sunday now being the most segregated day of the week, Christians who are called to love and honor their neighbors have fallen to culture's trap by siding with one group against another, us versus them, cops versus protesters, blacks versus white, racists versus the woke. And the lure of choosing one option over another threatens God's plan for unity among his people in Christ. Got to get this book. We went through it as a staff, super challenging, super hard uh, to, to really lay yourself down and be used by God, but get it. The third option, Miles McPherson, get it from us and support the ministry or get it from somewhere, but go through it and let the Holy Spirit train you to use this crisis and any future crisis as a bridge-building opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: Request the third option when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Call 877-30-GRACE and we can process your order right away. Tell a friend about these daily studies and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace.